Good morning, Third Street. It's good to have you back, Sly. You know, these people were slacking without you in the front row. They were slacking, bro. It's just something different. It's just something different when I have my support in the front row like this. It's just a little bit different. So I appreciate, I appreciate you guys being here. Um, hey, for those of you who don't know me, because I, I see more than a few uh, new faces. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Corey. Um, I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Third Street Community Church, and this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be bringing forth the Word of God to you all. This is one of my favorite parts of my job. This is one of the best things I get to do throughout my week, no matter how busy or crazy my week has been. It is always a blessing to be up here with you on a Sunday morning, even, even on weekends where we just came from Epic. Amen. Right now, if you don't know... Uh, 70-some-odd uh, of our students are uh, actually probably literally right now are worshiping and hearing a message um, down at uh, Round Lake at our annual retreat called Epic. Uh, also, I'm bringing that up so that you'll also extend to me an extra portion of grace because some of us are real tired. Some of us only got a little bit of a voice left, you know, and I didn't even have any kids there. So imagine the people who did. You know, so um, so that's happening right now. If you've been with us on Sundays, you know what's been happening in here. What's been happening in here has been we've been moving through this series in Philippians that has been creatively and brilliantly entitled. Wait for it. You ready for this church? Say it with me. Come on. On three. One, two, three. Philippians. Yeah, there it is. Great. Eight of you are still with me. So um, we've been all over. We've been all over this book. We've been taking a deep look into a letter that Paul wrote to to his church, to his family, to his people in Philippi as he was, as he was imprisoned um, and, behind, and behind bars. And this morning, I'm going to pick up where uh, our first lady left off last week. And so if you have your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't and you feel like you can fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, and or whatever new thing is popping up that I don't know about, you go ahead and look at it on your device. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen for you. This is Philippians chapter 3. We're picking up where she left off, so that's verse 15. And we're going to read through just the first part of chapter 4. So this is Philippians 3, starting in verse 15. The Apostle Paul, the gospel globe trotter, the gospel globe trotter himself. I told you I need grace. It was epic. This Leave me alone. Writes it this way. Therefore... Where my English major's at. You know what this means. Anytime the therefore is there, you got to ask, what's the therefore there for? Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, well, got to reveal it to you. It's one of the most liberating verses in the text. I swear it is. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things, our citizenship is in heaven. 
and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And then turn the page into chapter 4, just in verse 1. Paul goes on and says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for, brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. There's a conversation that I think... It's about time we spoke on. There's a conversation that in many cases is being had daily. In more than a few of our cases, it's at the very least weekly. And if your life has not been impacted by this conversation that's going around, I promise you, I promise you, it will be. It is a conversation that is tearing families, places of employment, and communities apart. And it's a conversation that is sparked instantly by a simple question. What y'all want to eat? Where do you guys want to go eat at? It's tearing people apart, I tell you. Because never have you realized your own inability to make a decision as when somebody asks you in a group of people, where where on earth do you want to eat? You got your brothers and sisters that are real bold with it. I'm saying Taco Bell. But then inevitably, somebody's like, I don't even like Taco Bell. (laughs) You got your people that are so considerate of what other folks want to eat that they're even willing to overlook their own allergies if it means that all of you will agree on a place. That's struck a little too seriously over here. You got families that hungry people who have been at it all day and when they pick their children up and the entire family is home again for the evening you just want the food to magically appear on the table but these kids I don't want that and you can tell them well you gonna sit here and you gonna eat what we prepare Or you can make yourself dinner. But at some point, you got to stop letting them eat Cheerios for dinner. It's hard. It's hard to figure it out. It's hard to figure it out. Because our indecisiveness leaves us at times in moments of hunger and extends that moment into hours of debate. And then you're like, dude, forget it. At this point, all we have time for is KFC. Let's go. It's hard out here. At some point, at some point, let me encourage you with this. At some point, the conversation has to move. It has to move 
from thinking about it to deciding on them on something. At some point, we got to stop going back and forth and somebody has to just be like, this is what it is. That's the energy that Paul is bringing to the Philippians at the, towards the end of this letter. He's saying, look, y'all, you can't just keep waiting for me to make the decision for you all the time. I got my own stuff going on. I don't know if you heard, but I'm in jail right now. I got my own little situation to deal with. You can't just be waiting on me. Because Lord knows whether I'm getting out of here or not. Right? Paul's trying to tell him you can't just be, you can't just be sitting on your hands waiting for Jesus to come back. Because when Jesus comes back, we eating for eternity. You're going to starve if you just sit here and wait on him. Amen. At some point, my brothers and sisters of Philippi, at some point, my family here at Third Street, at some point, we got to stop contemplating everything. We got to stop thinking on it. We got to stop wondering what will happen. And at some point, we have to decide on an eternal reality. Amen. At some point, we got to just get out there and live this way. Paul says, and I love this. He says, let all of us who are mature think this way. I, I love it because he's just, he don't care, bro. He's in jail. What's he got to care about? You know what I mean? He doesn't care about your feelings. He's working out his own situation. He's like, look, I'm going to give it to you straight. If you're mature, you agree with me. If you're immature and you disagree with me, well, God will show it to you. I don't got time to break it down to you any more than I already have. It just is what it is. If you are mature, think this way. And what he's talking about, he's talking about a shifting mindset that we must all come to. A mindset that moves away from we've got it all figured out. Or it moves away from I, I can do it on my own. Or I will come into my own reality. Or I will I, I can handle it myself. He's trying to shift these Philippians' mindsets from this self-sustaining mindset of we have it all figured out. And he's trying to move it from that to an eternal perspective of knowing we don't know nothing about nothing. But there is hope and promise in front of us. We don't have it figured out. This day and this life is not perfect. It's far from it. And yet, we can acknowledge that while still continuing towards the day of perfection. We can acknowledge that it is imperfect today, but we are trying to move to and live into a reality of a hopeful eternity that Jesus described in the kingdom. He says, and if you think differently because I know all some of us in here are like are like you know I can find a few folks that agree with me but what about these other people that just don't get it Paul gives you your instruction right here he's like if you don't think this way if you think differently he doesn't say I got all the time in the world to break it down to you he doesn't say I'm gonna patiently just sit here in your own darkness and wait for you, sacrificing my own light. 
He says, well, I got to keep going on what I know. And I hope that God reveals it to you. And we got to keep it pushing. Because Paul knows that by adopting a mindset fixed on these eternal things that have been promised in Jesus. And if you don't know what I mean by that, know that I mean that Jesus came not to condemn, but to offer a new reality. Jesus came not solely to rebuke, punish, and sentence to death, but Jesus came to offer hope. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to rescue. And he said, when you fix your mind on what Jesus has already done and what is promised to us in eternity, which is a kingdom reality where there is no sadness, there is no sorrow, there is no more death, there is no more pain. There is no heartbreak because once and for all, we will be in the eternal, glorious presence of our Lord. If you focus on those things, guess what I know is going to happen as a natural byproduct. It will begin to change your thoughts and attitudes towards these other differences that we have in other people. The places where we don't agree, when we're focused on an eternal reality, our thoughts and attitudes towards the people who disagree with us changes. By adopting a mindset fixed on the eternal reality Christ calls us to, it begins to change our thoughts and attitudes towards those around us with differences. And what happens when both parties become fixed on the same eternal reality is that the things that are between us that are different but ultimately don't factor into eternity melt away in their importance. And when those subtle differences that keep us so divided melt away in their importance in the grand scheme of eternity, we get closer together. Let me get real practical, give you an example. When you realize, I don't know what age I realized this, but eventually I got there. When you realize that there isn't like a Baptist section and a Catholic section and a Kojic session, and a Lutheran section of heaven, certain differences start to matter less. You see what I'm saying? And, that's, and, that's, and, and, and I want to be clear because, because these, some of these doctrinal differences are still fine. They're still like, you know, they're not sinful necessarily, and they're yours that you're free to express. But eternally, they're not as impactful. Do you see what I'm saying? So maybe, maybe we spend a little less time arguing over the nuances of liturgy or whatever. And maybe, maybe we spend a little more time sharing a common expression of the kingdom of God. Maybe. Maybe. Now that feels like it might only be attainable to a small number of folks in the room. So let me see if I can broaden the horizon a little bit. Um, when you realize that there's not a Republican and a Democrat section of heaven... And I know at least 12 Democrats thought, well, that's because Republicans aren't in heaven. <laughs> that's too harsh, guys. It's too harsh. 
Republicans are fun, okay? Well, you realize that there isn't a divide in political party in heaven. Some differences, eternally speaking, start to matter a little less. Will you realize, will you realize that there is no sickness and disease in heaven? Some realities that our sicknesses and diseases give us start to matter a little less eternally. When you realize that there is no depression in heaven. Some things start to shape up a little bit. When you realize that there are no finances in heaven for eternity, like ever again. No more taxes in Jesus' name. Man, for a dollar. Some things in life begin to take a different shape and form in the weight of their importance, don't they? Can you see where I'm going? Yes, sir. And, and when you realize where these things exist in the kingdom of God, it changes your thoughts and attitudes t- towards these things in our present reality. And some of you, under the sound of my voice this morning or whatever day you listen to this back, aren't all the way there yet. You're not ready to accept some kingdom realities, even that I just mentioned, let alone ones that we've covered over the last few weeks. You're not ready to like comprehend or like, or like just really like fully own that in your life. That's okay. Salvation is a process. We're working this out. I'm not trying to hasten anybody to a certain point of maturity, right? We all have our own process of growth. But what I, what I am saying is, is I will point at the next part of what Paul says, which is, which is where he says, so we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. I'm not saying you need to have an opinion on all these deep theological things. What I am saying is what God has made plain to you you do have to live up to. Yes, sir. Because as my grandma would tell you, now you know better. Yeah. Right? Paul's concern is not just that his audience learns these things, but that the thoughts and attitudes that are impacted begin to shape the patterns of behavior and inform the actions we take as a result. In other words... As a prophet in the 80s once said, you don't just think about it. You don't just talk about it. It's about time you need to be about it. I can't help but think about Jesus' disciples when I read this. Because I don't know if you guys know, but that was an eclectic group of brothers and sisters. They were there too. And... And I think of all the different implications of Jesus saying, now take all the things you heard me say, take all the things you see me do, and I want you to do it too. I think of the implication on his disciples that were temple students. The people who, who were in a classroom their entire lives. 
taught the scriptures, taught what to look for in a coming Messiah, taught what to weigh and make judgments on as it pertains to matter of religious law, taught to analyze every little detail. And they're watching as Jesus preaches these countercultural messages on the sides of mountains, not in temples, not in the synagogue, but in the wilderness. He's calling people of all different backgrounds to hear a message that applies universally to everybody. And he's saying things that are hard to grab with, like the Sabbath, meh. And they're like, huh? They're watching him. Somebody who has not had the proper training or the proper robes and garbs from, from rabbi before him, healing people, saying that he has the authority to forgive sin, seeing people raised from the dead, seeing sight restored to the blind, saying, I'm the Messiah. And then looking at these students who are taught to analyze these things and saying, now everything that I've taught and everything you see me do, you do it too. Huh? I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the zealots. I'm thinking about the the disciples that were just waiting for the moment that Jesus was like, and the time has come for us as Jews to rise up and overthrow the Roman oppressor. I'm thinking about the zealots that were waiting for the day that they could get their hands on some Romans and start really making a difference. You know what I'm saying? And then Jesus looks at him and he's like, and here's what I want you to do about these Romans. I want you to love them. Oh, my gosh, I want you to pray for them. And they're over here like, huh? I'm thinking about the tradesmen. I'm thinking about the disciples who were coming out of poverty. And Jesus is like, leave all that you know and all that you think behind and come follow me. And they got to be thinking, but how, but how am I going to provide for my family if I live this way? And Jesus is like, yo, let the dead bury the dead. I, I need you to trust that God is a provider, that he'll take better care of the people that he loves better than you will anyway. And I need you to just go ahead and follow me on this one. Yes, sir. Huh? thinking about the tax collectors and the businessmen who were disciples and they knew that they could financially support themselves and not only themselves but they were building what we call generational wealth their families was going to be set kids in their family that wasn't even born yet was set up and Jesus said if you really want to follow me give it all away well that doesn't seem very fiscally responsible Jesus This doesn't feel like a sustainable model for business, Lord. (laughs) Stock prices, if they hear you talking like that, will plummet. (laughs) Jesus is like, yo, follow me. The truth that is revealed to us in Scripture and in the person of Jesus, Paul knows, can be a hard reality for all of us. It's a hard reality for us to wrestle with what this really means and how we actually work this out in our lives. But when we come to it, when it's revealed to us, when we're made aware of it, 
We are expected to live up to it. Let me ask you this morning, what's the reality that's got you paralyzed? What's the reality you're dealing with that's got you stuck? Honestly, we're not for a shortage of them. There are a lot of harsh realities that are in our world because we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of hard things that we're dealing with. There's a lot of hard conversations we got to work through. I was joking about the whole uh, uh, what you want to eat thing earlier, but there's a lot of conversations that really are ripping our families and communities apart. There's a lot of harsh realities in our world that if we let ourselves, we can easily become paralyzed by the weight and the magnitude of them all. If we really spend a whole lot of time and just analyzed all of the harsh realities that are happening in our lives and in our worlds, I have to imagine that you wouldn't want to get out of bed either. I have to imagine we would all have paralysis by analysis, that we would all just be sitting here feeling hopeless and powerless to do anything about anything, and we would just want to give up. But what Paul is saying in this section is what I need you to come to is I need you to determine what it is that God says about the reality that you're dealing with. Get to a point of discovery where you decide what God says is the eternal reality of whatever it is that you wrestle with. If what you wrestle with is poverty, what is the eternal reality of poverty? If what you wrestle with is racism, what is the eternal reality of racism? I just told you heaven's not segregated, so when are we going to get over it? If what you wrestle with is building wealth, if what you wrestle with is confidence, if what you wrestle with is doubt in existence, what does God say is the eternal reality of these things? Decide on these things. Because the only way we're going to get unstuck is by deciding to believe the truth that we have come to, the truth that is revealed to us. Determine what it is that God says that reality that we wrestle with is like in eternity, and then you're ready to get started. Then begin developing the character of a person who believes and embodies that eternal reality, even though we're not there yet. That's the tension Paul is speaking to. And some of you might be wondering, how do I develop that character? Thank God Paul didn't leave us in the wind. He continued. He said, join in imitating me. You want to know how to live this way? Just start living the way that I live. How can Paul say something so bold when he doesn't, he's not perfect either? When he's not in heaven yet, he doesn't have the perfect eternal reality. How can he say something so bold? Because he's trying to imitate Christ. He's trying to be like Jesus. He's like, look, while I work this out and try and figure out how to be more like Jesus, y'all work it out and try and figure out how to be like me. And by the transitive property, shout out to geometry, we all going to get there. But Paul is intentionally emphasizing imitation because it's a Greco-Roman, it's it's steep in Greco-Roman education. That's the culture, that's the context that he's speaking to. In Greco-Roman education, a teacher did not lecture nearly as much as a teacher served as the model for the formation of the students. You didn't go in and look at a teacher and say, what can I learn from this person? You went in and looked at a teacher and said, how am I going to become like this person? 
A teacher wasn't just writing information on a board. A teacher was inviting their students into their lives to live like them for a period of time to learn all the knowledge and wisdom that that teacher had gained. It wasn't the teacher lecturing on things that we must learn for a test. It was an invitation to live life together and to begin to imitate. But this is where Paul says we got to be careful with that, though. Because, and I know it's hard for us to believe, maybe we can figure out a way to get ourselves there in a little bit, but this is where Paul says we got to be careful because there are people, some of which we're already imitating, that are actually enemies of the cross. We're subjecting ourselves to teachers and to a level of imitation that's actually leading us further away from Jesus than it is to more Christ-likeness. And Paul goes on to say where imitation of these people will lead us, like what will be the end result? Their end is destruction. It says their God is their stomach. Whatever fills them up. But then y'all know the realities of what happens when your stomach is full that happens shortly thereafter. He says their glory is their shame. What are they going to be known for? The way they was embarrassed. And they're focused on earthly things. In other words, watch who you follow. Because some of these people who say things that sound good will only lead you to worse life decisions, to get full on information you won't use anyway, and get you attention that is more embarrassing than it is honoring, and ultimately all you'll ever build is stuff you can't take with you when you die. Your TikTok followers ain't going with you. What we should be gaining by imitating Paul, as Paul imitated Jesus, is transformation of our lives of suffering into a transcendent reality of likeness to Christ and the power that picked Christ up from the dead. We have another term for this Greco-Roman principle that Paul is speaking directly on. We call it discipleship. Who's discipling you? Who in your life is discipling you? My genuine hope is that you have an answer and you point to a strong, spiritually mature person. But if you can't, and even if you can't think of anybody, let me give you a little tip. You're being discipled. Consciously, intentionally, accidentally, you're being mentored. You're being taught how to live. It just might not be from somebody or something that is Christ-like. See, discipleship, unfortunately, has largely left education. And education has conformed to models that just transfer information via lectures, reading, and papers that we write at 3 a.m. So then, where do we get discipleship if discipleship has not stayed there? Where do we receive wisdom from somebody who invites us into their lives to begin to act like them based on whatever truth it is that they decided on? 
Well, every day, our opinions and behaviors are becoming more like the people we see on TikTok than an example we see in Scripture. They're becoming more like the talking heads we see on whatever news outlet we prefer in the moment than it is the examples we see in Scripture. It's becoming more and more like whatever Twitter thread, blog post, or whatever the heck we are into and check daily than it is examples we see from Scripture. Now, let me be clear about this. I'm not trying to be an old curmudgeon, bro. Like, I still sometimes like to think I'm a little bit young. Thank you, Season Saints. I know you're with me. I'm not trying to be an old curmudgeon that's calling us back to a history that was left in the past for a reason. I'm just simply trying to repackage Paul's warning that following some of the folks that we're following will lead to the destruction of our lives. It'll lead to public shame. It'll lead to emptiness. And it'll lead to a life whose peaks are ultimately determined by the amount of likes we get from 10-year-olds who had to take mommy's phone to even log into Instagram. It's a sad reality. And if you can't answer the question, who's discipling you with a person whose spiritual life is one that is affirmed by the community, then let this be the day that you change it. Let me take a second. Where are my huddle leaders at? Where are they at? Stand up. Stand up. Lewis's, Camuesa's, the Simmons, the Brownings aren't standing because they're trying to be humble. Stand up. <laughs> Ann, Candace, KT in the back, the Crawls. Meek isn't here because he's preaching at Epic. Listen, look around the room. These are the people that my community affirms as spiritual leadership. Okay? There's more than this. But this is just what came to me in this very moment. Look at the prayer team when I call them up in a little bit to go around the room. These are the people we affirm as spiritual leaders in our community. Y'all can sit down. I know you feel awkward. Listen, go find one of them. Come talk to one of us. Go pray with somebody when we offer that time and response. Quit sitting there wondering when it's going to happen to you or for you. Decide on it and go get it. Go get the spiritual reality that God is calling you to by subjecting yourself under the discipleship of somebody whose spiritual life you affirm and the community affirms. Why? Why? Why are you saying this to me? I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to make it plain as I can, and then I promise I'm out of your way. The reason I included chapter 4, verse 1, Notice how Paul addresses the people he's writing to. He says, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters. My joy and my crown. And then he says some other stuff. But notice how he addresses the people who he is discipling the people who he is bringing along in the faith. He says, my brothers and sisters that I have longed for. There are people in this room that have longed for a really unfortunate amount of time to feel like they belong to a family. 
There are people in this room that haven't felt like they've had real brothers and sisters their whole lives. Who felt like they haven't had a father and a mother that, that embodied what Christ intended those titles to be. And that feel like they can't proceed in a new reality of family because they don't know what it means to experience family. And Paul says, I found it. I found it in my brothers and sisters that I'm living life with in Philippi. I found it in my brothers and sisters that I'm, that I'm leading along in the faith. I found it in the spiritual leaders that I subjected my own authority under as well. He said, I found family when I gave in to this way of living in community of spiritual authority and like-mindedness. He calls the people of Philippi his joy. There are people that have gathered with us this morning that have gone a really long time without finding joy. I'm not talking about happiness or being able to laugh. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the type of smile that you feel on the inside. There are people who have not experienced that. Paul says, I went through a long period of my life where I had no joy, but I found it now. I found it now. And where is it? It's tied up also with my crown. There's a whole lot of us that are reaching for a crown that's going to rust and rot and go into the ground with us. It ain't going to heaven. Ain't nobody going to remember the amount of money that you make. You don't even tell me now as it is. There are a lot of us that are reaching for a crown that might be good for a little while and might even get us a cute little sculpture that looks barely like us up the street in Canton. But after about a 10-year window, people are like, who's that? He had a big nose. Paul says, I found my joy and I found my crown when I began living my spiritual reality with you all. He said, I found my joy I found my crown because there is no greater accomplishment than seeing people respond to the invitation of the gospel that I am offering and then their lives being different and better because of it. There is no greater joy, Paul writes. There's no finer accomplishment. There's no jewel that I wish for my head more than by seeing people respond to the gospel that changed my life and seeing how it changes theirs. It's one story and I'm out your way. This past weekend, I told you going on right now is epic. This weekend, I got to briefly share the history of epic. And if you don't know what it is, 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, there were a few of us 20-somethings that weren't really trying to do anything other than hoop and Martin, talk about Jesus, and eat food that a long list of volunteers would bring rotationally. It, I'm saying That's how I made it through college. Listen. And we invested our lives into a group of teenagers, and we wanted a place to be able to take kids from all different backgrounds, from all walks of life, from all situations, and feel like there was a place that it does not matter those qualifications that I just named. You belong here. 
And we didn't feel like it existed already. And so we prayed and agonized over it a whole lot. And we found that God made a way for us to be the hands that started it. And 10 years later, that's still going. But let me tell you why that's a wild reality. It's not because something made it 10 years. It's because that the very students that came to Epic as dirty, rotten pagans in the first place, bad little kids that won't shut up and go to bed, are now the kids that were leading the leader meeting. Because they're not kids anymore. That was 10 years ago. And I'm getting old. It's the people that were up on a stage. It's the people that were sharing their faith with the next generation. And while I was sharing the history of Epic, I got, I got to tell another story of this kid somewhere along the way of Epic about this kid from Youngstown that I met. A kid from Youngstown who moved to Canton because he had a dream of playing football. And when I met him as a freshman, there wasn't much more tangibly to him other than his athleticism. But the people who spent time with him started to get this sense that there was something else that God was doing in this life, and it was just special and different. And I got the privilege and the honor over the next several years of helping cultivate what that life looked like. And this past weekend, that kid from Youngstown who came on a hoop dream, who over the past few years has, whose life has been transformed into somebody who would literally lay his whole life down to give it to the next generation for a better hope for them, was the speaker at Epic. And honestly, that's really freaking dope. There it is. You can kind of see it. I'm proud of Tamiko. And I don't want to say this, and I don't want you to hear this as a pat on my back. I want you to take this as a personal testimony for me that there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy than witnessing the transformative power of Christ at work by transferring from one life to the next, by transferring from one generation to the next, to the next. And then to invite others into this reality. Church, I'm done. All I want to say is that I invite you to quote Paul, don't be mad at me, those who are mature and can agree on these things. I invite you to decide. Decide on the hope and eternal reality we are invited into by Jesus. Develop the godly character we see in Christ by following people whose spiritual lives show the fruit of the Spirit. And then invite others into this new reality that our world desperately needs by opening up your life. Open your life to people 
being intentional about your influence in the rooms that you're in, even now. Church, I want you to join me in being sure that what God is doing in this community doesn't just stay among the people of this community, but continues to impact generations until the kingdom hope we all press on towards is realized once and for all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a new hope and a new reality. God, we thank you that you have made a way through your son Jesus for us to be made new. That our past is no longer something that needs to be wrestled with because what you are building for us is in the future, it's now, and it's eternal. Lord, we want to experience family. We want to experience joy. We want that crown that Paul talks about. By being a piece of the kingdom that you are building. Lord, we pray for forgiveness. For looking to our left and to our right and participating in things that lead us further and further away from this reality you speak of. Lord, we pray for wisdom to handle these things in a new way. God, we pray for the faith that it takes to wrestle through the harsh realities that have struck us so hard. Lord, we pray for the courage to continue to follow you because what the truth that we all have come to before this and on today is that your leading will not lead us into further temptation or destruction. But your leading of our lives will ultimately deliver us from our present evil. Lord, I pray that we begin today living into this new reality. It's in Jesus' name that makes it all possible, we pray. All who believe say, bless up.